Okay, everyone, please have a seat. Good morning and welcome again. My name is Stephen Sump. I'm one of the leaders here at DOXA, and I have the privilege to read today's passage. So if you can pull out your Bibles or your electronic devices, we're going to be looking into Romans chapter 5 today, starting in verse 12. So I'll give you a chance to, to find that. Okay, Romans chapter 5, starting in verse 12, going through the end of the chapter. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam who is a type of the one who is to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to, one, led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin is increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as, rain sin, as it, sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life, through Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, guys. So what you just heard is the gospel that this church is built on. All right, the most significant, life-changing message that, that you can ever hear. It's the most life-altering, hope-giving, eternity-directing message that you could ever possibly know. And ultimately, this is what leads the, the Apostle Paul to begin the book of Romans, all right, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul starts off with a thesis statement. He says boldly, I'm not ashamed. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God to save all who believe. This is the gospel. And the way that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, shares the gospel with us today, guys, is by giving us a comparison between two Adams. All right, he shows us the first Adam of Eden. All right? who brought sin and death and the fall of humanity. But then he also shows us the second Adam of heaven by way of the cross, who is the man Jesus Christ. And as he delivers this urgent and this beautiful message of the gospel, he's, he's giving us a, a three-part flow. And so I want you to write down three words, all right? In the column of your Bible next to Romans chapter 5, verses 12 through 21, three words, ruin, redemption, and reign. 
All right, those three words, this is the three-part flow that Paul gives us to help us understand this. He's going to show us the ruin of mankind in verses 12 through 14. Then he's going to show us the redemption of mankind in verses 15 through 19, which is all under the umbrella of the reign of mankind in verses 20 and 21. And here's what you need to know with all of this, all right? Guys, you and I are meant and created to reign and to thrive in life. We see this truth. If you look back here at verse 17, you see this truth that Paul says. But we can't just see it here. We can also trace this back, all right, to the beginning of the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, right, with the creation of everything that is, and even by looking at the apex of creation, which is humanity, all right, because in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God created humanity in his own image. And so what that practically means is that you have never locked eyes with someone that doesn't have dignity, value, worth, and purpose, And he created humanity. He's created every single one of you to reign and to have dominion in the world through the life that he has ultimately given you by his grace. And as I was thinking about this truth this week, I I began to think about when Lisa and I had our first child, Lily. All right, you might see her running around. She's always wearing tutu and glitter everywhere, okay? Don't give her a hug or you're gonna be wearing glitter too, okay? But the day that Lily was born, all right, was truly one of the best days of, of my life. And, and when she was born, as it goes, they, they handed her first to, to Lisa to hold, and I just kind of sat there and just eagerly waited just to, for my turn to, to hold her. But then they finally handed me Lily. And as I was standing there just holding her for the first time, you know, the, the first thought that just popped in my head was like, oh my gosh, do not drop her. <laughs> I mean, she was so light. It was like a feather, right? I mean, I, I have huge hands. Anyway, right? The, but here... As I held her, guys, and I looked into her eyes, I remember having so many thoughts, so many emotions, all towards her. But the words that were going through my head were this, Lily, everything I have is yours. And I'm gonna do everything I possibly can to help you to thrive in life. I can still remember her little beautiful brown eyes just looking at me. And guys, I I share that to say that this is what's going on in Genesis chapter one as God created the first of humanity. God created him and he said, let there be light. And he put twinkling little lights in the sky called stars that they would just marvel at, that they could enjoy. He made land and he put plants and animals there for them to live amongst. And then he, he created these, these plants that bore fruit so that they could eat and enjoy the life that he had been given. He created everything and he looked at them and he said, all I have, everything I have is yours. It's this beautiful father-child moment that we see in Genesis chapter one. And guys, it was, it was perfect. It was like the most perfect time in history where humanity was living and thriving and reigning as the sons and daughters of God, ruling over creation in absolute perfection. There was nothing bad, only good. Now, fast forward to Madison, Wisconsin, June 2nd, 2019. This is not the reality of the world that we live in, right? We live in a a broken world And many, if not all of us, or most of us, would not say that we feel like we are reigning and thriving in life, that we're we're suffering, we experience hardships, we're just going through it. And even in the good times, when things are up 
and things are actually going really, really well, we kind of just wait with anticipation for the next hurdle to jump over. We kind of just wait for something to come and just kick us in the teeth. And then we wait to see, how am I going to respond to this? Is this the thing that's going to crush me? Is this the thing that's going to take me out? How am I going to do this? This is what we wait for. And Paul, throughout the first five chapters of Romans, has explained this to us. And he said the truth that the reason for all of this, guys, the reason for our experience like this in our world is due to sin in the world and sin in our personal lives. And guys, sin is is really just the deepest, strongest, most pervasive problem in the human race. And sin is is us, as D.A. Carson puts it, it's us de-godding God and living however we want, making our own decisions, doing our own things, and we live in any way that we want, even if it's in opposition to who God is and what God says. And the very nature of sin is that sin separates us from God. Sin separates us from each other, and sin ultimately ruins what God created. And that sin that is in our world and in our lives has tainted and darkened the beautiful reality in which we were created to live in. And Paul, if you guys have been keeping up, if you've been reading Romans chapters one through five, he's laid this out and he explains this. But he doesn't just stop there. Because this wouldn't be gospel doctrine if he stopped there, that there's always good news when it comes to Jesus. Because in the midst of explaining all of this sin, the midst of explaining these problems, he also boldly asserts that Jesus has overcome that sin, that he's brought peace with God, which leads to peace in our lives and which allows us to reign in life that we have today. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what's happening in the world around us, because Jesus He's reigning in grace and he causes us and allows us to reign with the life that he gives us. And actually, guys, the idea of actually living and thriving and reigning in life is within all of our grasps, not because of how strong we are or what we can do, but because of what Jesus has done for us. And through faith, it's within grasp of all of us. And I believe that as Paul writes this, he knows that this is just an astounding claim, a crazy claim. And as he's writing this in verse 12, He's probably anticipating questions from like a realist type person, right? And this realist is hearing this good news that Paul is putting forward and probably thinking, okay, I hear all this, I see what you're saying, but how can one act of Jesus actually change my present condition and my eternal future? How can that be? And to respond to that, he gives us great detail on how Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection actually does overcome evil and sin and really reverse the whole course of human history which affects your life today in Madison, Wisconsin and how you are experiencing it as you walked into this building today. And here's what he says, starting with the ruin of mankind. Verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, And I want you to underline this next part in your Bible. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. All right, Paul begins by by laying out the foundation that death is just this universal reality for all of humanity, which ultimately, it really just violates how we were created to to reign and to thrive in life. And no truth, guys, you know this, no truth is more self-evident than the inevitability of death. 
that the painful reality of death touches all mankind without interruption and without exception. That's why you can drive through most every city in the world and you're gonna pass by cemeteries packed with all types of people. Regardless of wealth and race and status and accomplishments, it doesn't matter that every single one of us, if we have something in common, is that we will all one day die. Now, in view of the inevitability of mortality here, of death, questions come to mind. Maybe you've thought these. The questions of, well, why does death reign? Have you thought about that? Why does everyone have to die? Be it when they're old and they've lived a long life or when they're really young and it just does not seem fair. Why does it happen? How has death become like the undisputed victor over mankind? Chances are you've, you've probably thought about that at some point in your life. If you haven't, you have kids, you're going to because they're gonna start asking those mind-numbing why questions, right? That drives everybody a little bit crazy. Why? You're gonna answer these. And Paul gives us the answer by presenting to us a three-stage chain reaction here in verse 12, which shows, guys, the deterioration and the ruin of mankind. If you look back, first, he points out that sin entered the world through one man named Adam. Second, as a result of sin, death entered the world as a penalty for that sin. And then thirdly, he says that death spread to all humanity because all have sinned. And if you look back here, guys, at verse 12, when Paul says, because all sinned, all right, the verb sinned, you need to know this, and this isn't me being like super scholarly. I don't understand like syntax and grammar, but I know how to read like books of people who know how to do that stuff. And so I, as I was studying this, the verb here, sinned, is used in the aorist tense, meaning that the sin and death that we experience in life is a result of one past action. All right, that the whole race of humanity sinned in one singular past action. And this is, guys, the, the foundational statement to understanding who we are in this world. And really, even more, it's foundational to Christian theology, and it's foundational to understanding gospel doctrine. The Scottish uh, Bible scholar, William Barclay, he said it like this. It's going to come up here on this, the screen. He said, if we are to give the aorist tense its full value here, and in this argument, we must do so, the more precise meaning will be that sin and death entered into the world because all men were guilty of one act of sin. When it comes to, to gospel doctrine and the things that we need to know about life, guys, Paul is not saying that humans all die because we are like Adam, meaning that we sin like Adam did. All right, sure, that's, that's partly true, but instead what Paul is saying here is that we were all in Adam meaning that when he sinned, so did we. In this statement, it might sound confusing, but it starts to scratch the surface of the theological construct that we, we have called original sin. And here's what you need to know about this idea of original sin. Adam's sin affects us in two primary ways, okay? The first thing that you can write down is that there is inherited sin from the original sin of Adam that causes all of humanity to be born into a, a sinful state that all of humanity is, is conceived in sin, we're, we're born in sin, and we will live as sinful people throughout our, the rest of our lives with our thoughts, our words, and our deeds. All throughout our life, we're all messed up with sin. That's just a universal fact of all humanity. I, I mean, you can demonstrate this, right? If you think about kids, that's why you don't have to teach kids to sin, right? I mean, I think about my, my son Titus, right? Little three-year-old. Like, he'll just grab his bat and he'll be looking at it. 
And then be like, wow, this is a nice bat. Thank you, daddy. And then he'll just whack his sister across the head with it, right? And I'm like, I don't know where he got that. He certainly didn't see me whack Lisa across the head with a bat, right? But you don't have to teach these kids to do that because it's just in them. There's something in us from conception and birth that just causes us to live like that. That we're not sinners because we sin. Rather, we sin because we are sinners. It's part of our nature. We're born totally imprisoned to original sin because we inherited this from the first of humanity. Now, secondarily, in addition to inherited sin, you can write down there is imputed sin. All right, which means that Adam's sin is, is not just credited to Adam himself, but also to us, which means that, that we're deserving of the same punishment as Adam. And so Adam's sin and guilt, which is our sin and guilt, ruins our standing with God. It ruins our relationship with God. Paul uses elsewhere throughout the Bible, throughout his letters, even here in Romans, that, that apart from Jesus, we're enemies with God, that we're at war with God because there's sin in our life that's been imputed from Adam. That the relationship with God that we're all striving after in some way, shape, or form. It might not look like pursuing God, but it's definitely there as a thumbprint in your life that you're trying to fill that hole with something. It's severed. And apart from Jesus, it's impossible to have a relationship with God because of Adam's imputed sin. And so if we had to put it simply, it's just to say that we are all sinners by both nature and choice. Every single one of us. And it's a humbling place, guys. That makes this a level playing field that we're in, right? I'm no better than anybody else. You're no better than everything else. There's no reason for us to be cocky or prideful because we're all messed up and jacked up with sin. There's one perfect person. His name is Jesus. Every single one of us, we have issues. And as Paul is explaining this, all right, he works to help us understanding this by looking at the history of mankind. He goes on, look at verse 13 and 14. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, this is a very condensed section of scripture. All right, it's widely accepted that this is probably the most theologically rich chapter of the entire Bible, definitely of the New Testament. So this can be confusing because it seems confusing that he says that, that sin is not counted where there is no law. But you need to understand this, okay? When he says that sin is not counted, he's, he isn't saying that people didn't suffer the consequences of sin before the law was given to Moses because we see clearly that sin was counted because after Adam, people died. And so what he's doing here is he's talking on a comparative basis. He's saying that in comparison of how sin is counted under the law, it seems as though it was not even counted. There's a man named Charles Swindoll, okay? He's a, he was an incredibly gifted Bible teacher, and he's really helpful in understanding this, okay? He, he preached on this section, and he shared a, an example that he told from his, his childhood uh, that really makes the point. And he says, as a boy, Swindoll had this, this paper route. All right, and like many boys, he got tired of it. He didn't like it. And so what he did is he started to take shortcuts to make it end as soon as, as possible. And he explained that, that if a house had the misfortune of being at the corner of a street, then Swindoll, the paper boy, would just ride right across the lawn on his bike, all right, just to cut corners, literally. And he did this to, to such an extent that some of these corners in their houses, they just had a dirt path all the way through the front yard. All right, some of you guys that are super anal with your yard, you're like, oh my gosh, your heart's, right? But this is what he did. He just went, go, went right through it. And he started having a, a 
path of dirt where he would ride his bike. And he described that he wasn't too comfortable with it, but no one had said anything, so he just kept doing it until one day he came to that corner and started to go through the yard, and there was a sign for the first time. It said, keep off the grass, no bikes. So he looked at it, he stopped for a second, and he said that he just kept going, and he did what he always did. He rode right across the the bike or the bike path that he had beaten down, right to the waiting feet of the author of that sign. And Swindoll, in his own words, he said he was stopped by this man, and the man shared a few things from his heart. Okay, you can imagine what that was, all right? But the point is this, guys. The paper boy's transgression had not been fully seen before the sign was put up, but the sign exposed the sin for what it was. Right, that he was sinning before the sign, but when the sign was put up, it became abundantly clear to him. He saw his sin. And what Paul is saying here is that before the law was given to Moses, before the Ten Commandments, in the time between Adam and Moses, it wasn't that, that sin wasn't counted against them because they, were, they, weren't, they, were breaking, they weren't breaking specific rules in the Ten Commandments. But what he's saying, there's still death. And people still died because there was sin. But the law, when God gave the Ten Commandments, it highlighted the fact of how messed up they actually were because they couldn't keep it. And his overall point is that throughout all of human history, the sin of Adam is the sin of all mankind. And that's why if you read the Bible, you start in Genesis. After the fall of mankind, in Genesis chapter 3, it reads like this. Then they died. Then they died. Then they died. This was highlighted to me, all right? I've shared this before, that one of the disciplines that I do is I I write out the Bible. I have a journal that I just literally, every morning, I I write a chapter. If it's too long, a half a chapter, right? I just write out the Bible. And I remember writing through Genesis, and the first couple chapters were like, this is eventful, this is okay. And then I got to all these names, and it would just say, here's the name, and I'd have to, like, it took me forever to spell it because I can't even pronounce it. And then it would say, then they died. And then I would write another name, and it would say, then they died. And I just kept writing all of these people that were dying. And it hit me, finally, this is what sin does. It brings death. It brings death to humanity physically in the beginning, but it also brings death spiritually. It brings death. The entire human race is infected by the sin of Adam, and we are all guilty because of one man's sin. Now, I think it'd be good for us to stop here and note that this is not, some of you I would guess, this is not readily acceptable to most modern people. Right? And the reason for this is this, okay, is that to the modern mind, all right, especially here in Western civilization, we're highly individualistic. Right? And that we think that our rising and our falling, our, our successes, our, our failures, they're according to everything that I can do, my abilities, my decisions, my actions, right? That I'm an individual, so everything depends on me. And because of our extreme individualism, guys, it's impossible for the modern person to believe and accept that they did in fact sin in Adam. But this is what the Bible says, that we all sinned in Adam. And this is the basis of our ruin and our death and our separation from God. And guys, while we could have a hard time with this today, I want you to know that like the biblical mind, 
of people in antiquity, they didn't have any qualms about that. They, they, the biblical mind understood rightly that Adam meant all of mankind, that there's a solidarity between the entire human race. And people of other centuries and other cultures are far better at understanding this truth than we are. That many other cultures accept the idea that, that the individual is actually part of the entire family or tribe or clan. And they, they don't exist by themselves. It's not an individualistic society, but we are unified. There's a solidarity between all people. In philosophy and theology, this has oftentimes been called federal headship. You can look that up later this week, but federal headship, you can think of it in terms of, of this, okay, with our relationship with, with the government, all right, that as citizens of the United States, we exist in solidarity with the rest of our country, with every single person in our country, with the government being our headship. And those who are in authority as our head, they make decisions, they pass laws, they make policies that affect all of us regardless if we were involved in the decision-making process or not. And so if our country decides that, hey, we are at war with that other country, that means that you are in fact at war with that other country regardless of how you feel about it or not. This is headship. And that's true because we're under the headship of our country. And guys, it's much the same way with Adam and his headship over humanity. That the decisions that he made, the sins that he committed, was in fact our sin and our fall and our decision, and it affects every single one of us. Paul says, ultimately, when Adam sinned, we sinned. And he goes, here is why this is actually significant to you. Even though people today, you might resist this, and say, I'm an individual. I'm not responsible for somebody else's action. It doesn't affect me. The fact that this is true, I want you to hear this, is the only reason why there's good news and the only reason why there is redemption for mankind. All right, this is the foundational, this is foundational to our understanding of gospel doctrine and theology because without the truth of headship, guys, we would all be hopelessly stuck in sin, forever separated from God. And this is how Paul demonstrates this. Look back at the end of verse 14. He says, Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. A type of the one who was to come. This is pointing to Jesus, that Adam was a type of Christ in that what both Adam and Jesus did affected untold numbers of people throughout history. That just as Adam was the headship of mankind that brought ruin, Jesus is the second and better Adam, the headship that brings redemption and justification and salvation. It's through one person. And the fact that it's through one person and headship exists is the only reason why there is good news. Because if we exist as individuals, there is no way for you to work yourself to God. You cannot do it. And we really need to understand this to understand the gospel, that just as sin and death came in through one man's disobedience, so redemption, life, and forgiveness can also come by one man's perfect obedience. And guys, that is good news. This is the gospel. And here's how Paul puts it. Look at this. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace that of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Paul says the source of our redemption is grace through Jesus. And he's showing us the, the greatness of the work of the second Adam over the first Adam in the garden. That the sin of Adam 
brought like this degenerative force to the world and just ruined mankind, cut off life, cut off relationship with God. But the work of Jesus, the second and better Adam, brought the dynamic of life, brought about life to the fullest to, by grace. It's by grace alone. And that word grace, okay, we, we can define it in many different ways. I find it helpful. Jerry Bridges, it's going to come up here on, this, on the screen. Jerry Bridges described it like this. He said, grace is God's blessing through Jesus for those who deserve his wrath. And the key word to this definition, guys, is through Jesus. That it's through Jesus, the second and better Adam, that we find grace and redemption and victory over sin and death. And, and I think this is important for us to know because so many of us, when we describe our, our, our testimony, our, our God story, we share the gospel and we say, you know, my life was really messed up. I was, I was addicted to substances and pornography and I was ruined my life. And, and then Jesus came in and he made me clean and now I'm better. He cleaned up my mess. And guys, when we, when we share the gospel like that, okay, maybe there's some truth in there, but it depends on how you describe mess. All right, your mess wasn't just your addictions, right? Your, your mess was, was your sin, that you were enemies of God, that we were all enemies of God. That's our mess. And the grace of God overcomes that mess and brings us to God through Jesus, through faith. And if you look at verse 16 and 17, Paul says it again. And the free gift, which is grace, not by anything that you do, but what Jesus has done for you, is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, and I want you to underline this next part, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Grace is God's blessing coming to those who come to him in faith. And one of the many blessings that we receive is justification, which is really just the start of the Christian life. That Jesus takes my sin, he takes my shame, he takes my condemnation, and he gives me his righteousness. He redeems my life, and he redeems my standing with God. And guys, if you've been around Doxa, you know that this is the drum that we beat every time we gather. This is the drum that we beat every time we open the Bible. And you say, why do you say the same thing every single week? I want a different song. It's because this is the song of the Bible. It's a one-hit wonder. It's all about Jesus. It's about his grace. This is the drum that the Bible beats on every single page, every single chapter, every single book of your Bible. It's about Jesus. It's about his grace, that he is the only one who heals our sickness of sin. He's the only one that defeats our eternal death from sin. He gives us life over sin and it's a free gift through faith. The second Adam is far more superior, far more effective than the first. It's Jesus. He gives us life and he gives us all that we need to reign in life as we were created to since the very beginning. That He restores his creation just as if sin never came. In fact, that's some people define justification in that. I think it's somewhat helpful, just as if I never sinned. This is what Jesus does. And in verse 18, he sums it up. He hits it home with the greatness of our redemption through justification. Look at this. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, 
the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. There's good news, guys. There's good news for bad people. And you need to know that we're bad people, right? There's no one good. It's not that God is on a throne looking down at heaven and he sees some good guys and bad guys. He sees bad guys and the Lord Jesus. That's it. We all need help. Every single one of us. And Jesus does this. And this is why Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 5, I implore you, I beg you, to be reconciled to God, come to Jesus. It's only by his grace that you have a shot. This is why he's doing this, this is his posture. He's not yelling, he's begging. He's saying, here's Jesus, this is the answer that you're looking for. Look what John Stott says about this, pastor theologian. He says, so then, whether we are condemned or justified, whether we are spiritually alive or dead, depends on which humanity we belong to. Whether we still belong to the old humanity initiated by Adam, or to the new humanity initiated by Christ. Because we belong, when we belong, to the second better Adam, Jesus, we begin to experience the benefits of the gospel. And this is where the reign of humanity becomes a reality. And this is the apex of Romans chapter 5. Look at verse 20. Now the law came to increase the trespass, made it visible, there's the sign. But where sin increased, underline this next part, circle it, star it, this is a big one. Grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul shares this beautiful gospel doctrine truth that God's grace to humanity is far greater than humanity's rebellion against God. And when he says, guys, grace abounded all the more, the reason I had you circle this is because the English translation doesn't really capture the essence of this phrase. Or because the, the essence of the original Greek here is the word super. It's, the, it's saying that grace super abounded. That at the cross, we see the worst that sin can do. Where humanity, all of us included, we crucified and we killed God. But at the cross, we also see the most that sin can do cannot thwart God's plan of redemption, that his grace overwhelms sin and shame and life triumphs over death and separation, which allows humanity to begin to reign in life, as Paul says in verse 17, that we have victory, and not just victory, but we have joy, and we can have hope because Jesus is greater. He's a better Adam, and he has changed everything. So to land the plane, what do we do with this? The ruin of mankind, the redemption of mankind, and the reign of mankind. Guys, here's what you need to know. However you walked in here today, there's only one of two places that you can be. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ. There's no other third place. I was actually talking with one of our elders in training. He's like, well, there actually is a, a third place. And people try and create this. And, and I, as I was talking about it, I was like, okay, yeah, there is really, realistically, only two places, in Adam or in Christ. But we do try and create a third space that we can live in. And in this thinking about how we try and create a third space, I think of the vague spirituality of Oprah. Right? Of, of, just, of just like universalism. Just do your own thing, believe your own thing, and everything's going to work out fine. I think of just the different man-made religions, right, that just propagate a works-based thing of just you need to do more. You make your way to God. Just do something good in your life and make, leave a mark, leave a legacy, and then you're going to get there. It doesn't matter. We're all climbing the same mountain. Guys, it's just false. 
and, and, and it's not me throwing stones. All I do is I open up the Bible and I'm underneath the authority of the Bible and just say, here it is. You guys just decide to do with it what you will. But this is what he's saying. One of two places that we can be, Adam or Christ. And if you are in Adam, you need to know that what's true of Adam is ultimately true of you. And so if you look back to verses 15 through 19, we see that in Adam we inherit death and sin and condemnation and separation from God. But in Christ, guys, we can be born again and our inheritance can change. That in Christ, the better Adam, Jesus, he gives you everything. And he's saying to you, all that I have is yours. And so you get the Holy Spirit, you get forgiveness, you get grace, you get eternity, you get to rule and reign here and now with Jesus forever. Your inheritance completely shifts when you come to Jesus. And this passage of scripture is actually what inspired a man named John Newton to write the great hymn, Amazing Grace. John Newton was just this terrible man. His life was so low, right? He was a slave trader. He was a slave himself. One night on a ship, he broke into a cask of rum, got hammered, fell overboard, almost died. The, the captain of the ship pulled out a harpoon, harpooned him through the stomach, pulled him back in, saved his life, but he carried a scar the size of his fist on his stomach for the rest of his life to remind himself of how bad and messed up of a person he was. But as the story goes, he heard the gospel of Jesus. He heard the truth of a better Adam. And as he learned the truth of Romans 5.20, that grace superabounds over incredible sin, he came to Jesus. He became a pastor he had a marriage that was a model to the people of his day. And he started an evangelical movement of churches in England and led many to Jesus. And he wrote this song, Amazing Grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. It's the grace of God that superabounds over our sin. And guys, this is my story. This is ultimately your story that while I was in the deepest, darkest moments of my life, Jesus broke in and his grace superabounded over my hideous sin and he saved me. And that is your story. And even if it's not, it can be through faith. And so if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Jesus and you find yourself in Adam and you're sitting there and you know it, you need to know that you don't have this amazing grace. It's there, but you haven't grabbed hold of it. And so I would ask you this, is what's keeping you from trusting Jesus? What's keeping you from that amazing grace? Because the Bible says that today is the day of salvation, that a true and better Adam has come and life doesn't have to be like you know it any longer. He can change everything. I pray that that's that day for you today. Others of you, you are Christians, you're in Christ. You're not in Adam, you're in Christ. You have a new inheritance, but you find yourself stuck at times, feeling distant from God. You're stuck in sin. You're not thriving, you're not reigning. I want you to know that there's good news for you too. You can reign. Write down two words to help you to do this. Remember and rehearse. 
remember your ruin. Remember the greatness of your ruin. I once was lost, a wretch, so far from Jesus. And then you rehearse the greatness of your rescue. You preach the gospel to yourself and say, but now I am found. And you allow that gospel doctrine to just drip like an IV. And over time, as you remember your ruin and you rehearse the gospel, it's dripping like an IV until the gospel begins to spread through your veins and just take you over and make you into a gospel person. And you begin to look like Jesus and walk like Jesus and sound like Jesus. And you're living like Jesus. You're reigning as the people of God. This is what you do. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound. That saved a wretch like me. Let's pray. God, thanks for, for your word. Thanks for revealing yourself to us. It's, it's easy to, to look out at creation and see that you're powerful and that you've made everything. But through your word, you also show us that you're, you're good and you're a loving father, that you've made a way for us to be with you. And so God, I just thank you for, for super abounding over my sin and bringing me to you. I thank you for the countless stories of this room where that is true, that people have found your amazing grace that's super abounded over their incredible sin and you've brought them from death to life. You brought us from Adam to Jesus, that we have an inheritance that we can stand here, we can sing, we can have joy, we have hope, that this doesn't just become a, a religious experience, but this is life. As we're meeting with you here now through your word and we're singing to you, we're hearing from you. just speak to us as we sing these songs and just help us to be people that just kind of plug into the gospel, that we would remember the greatness of our ruin, that we would rehearse the greatness of our rescue and it would just drip, the gospel would drip and just overcome us, make us more and more like Jesus as we come to you. Pray this 